What type of disciple are you? Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Sunday Sermon of July 12, 2020 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. On the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, Deacon Aaron Imey shares from the parable of the sower in which the Word of God is the message of the kingdom sown into human hearts through discipleship. The parable challenges us to examine which type of disciple we are and will be. In a world that denies hope and truth, the disciples of Jesus are called to show the hope of redemption. The good soil is the disciple who hears the Word of God and puts it into practice, yielding a bountiful harvest. Before we begin, we remind you that you can now watch our sermons one of two ways. Our Sunday communion service is broadcast in its entirety on Facebook at 4 p.m. UK time, 11 a.m. U.S. Eastern time. You can also watch later at facebook.com slash ChristChurchJerusalem slash live. Video of the sermons are posted on YouTube on Tuesdays. Visit youtube.com slash ChristChurchJerusalem. Subscribe to get notifications of new videos. Now, on to the lectionary reading. If you can, remain standing. It's our portion of scripture for tonight. It's the sixth Sunday uh, after Pentecost. It comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 to 9, and then again from 18. The parable of the Sower. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, And the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed 
bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As we study the word of God and put it into practice, we should never do so lightly. So let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, may the meditations of our hearts, words of my mouth, may they bring you delight and be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, B'Shem Yeshua, amen. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to those who are attending online. We are in lectionary year A. We have a three-year cycle of reading Bible. That's something we inherit from the synagogue. And in this uh, portion, uh, this year cycle, we read through the Gospel of Matthew. Um, After Pentecost, uh, Matthew spends a fair bit of time, in this time we call ordinary time, uh, talking about discipleship. And so you might hear again, one sermon after another on discipleship. But it's very important. It was very important to Jesus for after his resurrection, he gathered his followers together and he said, go out into all the world and make disciples. That was obviously very important to him. And so it should be important to us to be both a disciple and a disciple maker, both a sheep and a shepherd. So we wrestle with the text that is put before us, the parable of the sower, something that we all are probably quite familiar with. Let's have a look. So on the same day, following a a pattern, Jesus leaves the house and goes and sits by the lake, the Sea of Galilee, nice place. And he's not alone. The crowd come and find him, and why not? He's a good teacher. He's a great healer. He casts out demons. He binds up wounds. He makes something seem so easy that seemed so difficult. So people are attracted to him. And they are, even in this world today, attracted to him. So they gather in a large number. His response, let's teach. Hops into a boat. And uh, the boat becomes a really cool pulpit. Has anyone been to the church of Magdala up in the Galilee? When you go into that Catholic church, what do you see? A boat. And the pulpit is a boat. And the backdrop is the lake. Absolutely spectacular. I can't help but think that they got it from this passage. There's Jesus in a boat with an incredible backdrop, the Sea of the Galilee. And notice what he says in the text. He sits. The teacher sits. This is a tradition which uh, we find in the, in the Second Temple period of the sitting teacher and the standing listener. What are we doing right now? The complete opposite. Yes, that's right. Okay? Has a, we, uh, the guy gets up to stand and talk and everybody else sits down. But uh, it wasn't always that way. Um, in the temple, there were no chairs. And so we find that in the Orthodox tradition, and here I'm referring to the uh, uh, Christian Orthodox, uh, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodoxy, Armenian Orthodoxy, um, the 
big cathedrals of the Orthodox Church have no chairs. Yes, there's a few seats in the, in the corner and at the back uh, uh, for the uh, more mature people. And I am sure that some people sat on a rock by the shore as well and listened. Not everybody stood. But the tradition was you stood to hear. It was the word of God. We keep that tradition, do we not? And we stand to uh, part of the, the gospel. So the teacher sits, begins to teach, and uh, the multitude listen. And how does he teach it? He teaches in parables. Parables are an interesting form of, uh, of communication, you know, Jewish communication device. They occur only in two sources. They occur in rabbinic literature and they occur in the Gospels. That's, you don't find them in the Jewish world outside uh, the land. They're not in uh, the Jewish diaspora. They're not in Philo. They're not in Josephus Flavius. They're not in uh, Jewish literature of the Greek world. They're not in the early church fathers. And they're not in the Gospel of John. The, 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 the parables appear only in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why? Why doesn't John have any parables? Well, you can ask him when you get to heaven, I guess. He has other devices to share his message. Um, a, a, a scholar by the name of Steve Notley carefully went through the rabbinic literature and he found all of the parables and he put them in a book collated them all, uh, thankfully translated them, and as he was doing so, he discovered they were all in Hebrew, which is an interesting thought, that parables were a, a device, an oral device, occurring only in Hebrew. There were also uh, messages that were conveyed, not in a synagogue. You didn't teach them in a, in a house of worship when you were going to give a sermon. You didn't start with a, with a parable. Parables were something you said in the marketplace. A parable was something that you taught as you walked along the road. It was something that you, you did when you sat by a lake. They were all in Hebrew, and they display no ethnicity within themselves, which is another very interesting thing with a parable. Here you have a, a literary device found in Jewish sources like rabbinic literature and the Gospels in Hebrew and yet it's a farmer who goes out to sow. Not a Jewish farmer, not a Jewish field. It's a king who has a banquet. Not a Jewish king. It's a man who leaves a country. Not a Jewish man not the, the, the nation of Israel. It's universal. Now, isn't that an interesting device? And when you look at the Psalms, you discover in the prayer life of the Jewish world in the Second Temple period, salvation was universal. You even see it in the prayers of the Jewish people today when we say the blessings, and we will say them tonight. melech. Ha'olam, king of the universe, not just the king of Israel. Yes, he is the king of Israel. I get it. Yes, he is the Jewish Messiah. Absolutely. But even in the Jewish world, they knew that God was the king of the world. For God so loved the world. And so what an interesting device that we have. And Jesus, in that rabbinic world, as a rabbi, begins to teach in that 
uh, Second Temple period form here, most likely in Hebrew. And he, and he says, a farmer goes out to sow. And uh, there are different ways that you can farm and there are different ways that parables get your attention. Usually, what you want to include when you want to, when you want to get up and, and say something provocative is you give a shock. Now, this farmer, how does he sow his seed? Does he carefully put his seed in cultivated soil so as not to waste anything, making sure that every little bit is in exactly the right bit, gets a little bit of water? No, this guy throws, which, oddly enough, is a way of farming. Does anyone know what it's called? I had to look it up, because it's called broadcasting. It's actually where we get the idea to broadcast a radio signal. It is a very um, precise piece of farming in the effect that the farmer had better be good. He throws his seed in a broad fashion to make sure that all of the field gets some seed, even to the little edges. And yes, it's going to spill over onto the rocks, but he's going to make sure every little bit of his field is going to have some seed. There's not going to be a little bit that's un, un, left alone. So this is the first thing we get to know about the farmer. He's very special. He's very generous. And he's very good at, at putting his seed. Everyone is going to get this. And then you get the soils, and there are four types of soils. And we're all familiar with them. The one on the wayside, the stony place, the, the, the soil of the thorns, and the good soil. Now the number four is uh, very important in, in the Bible and in Jewish tradition. We have all types of fours. Anyone want to give me a four? At the beginning in Genesis, how many rivers come out from the garden? Four. Right from the start. Why not six? Why not two? um, When you want to guard God and you have the most powerful of the angels around the Lord, how many faces do they have? Four. Yeah, four corners of the earth. Now, the flat earth people love that kind of stuff. But that's not what that means. You have four cups of wine at Passover. Now, that's a much later tradition, but it's still four. Not five, not three, not two. And when you get to the Gospels, how many Gospels do you have? Four. Okay, if you only had three, you'd be thinking, oh, I'm missing one. Anyone found a spare Gospel? If you had five, you get a bit suspicious, and you think, ah, I don't think that one's actually true. So it's a, it's a, it's a very, very Jewish thing to have four as your, as your witness. And we have four types of soils. And uh, at, in the Second Temple period, the, uh, the rabbinic idea is that this, this number four was very important and they attached it to the character of humans. There were four types of all types of people, four types of characters who were generous. I'll give you an example uh, coming from the Pirkei Avot, which is a um, very early, the earliest uh, Midrashic source that we have. There are four types of contributors to charity, four types of people as they give to charity. There is the one who gives, but he doesn't want somebody else to give. 
He is begrudging of the other people's blessings. I will give and have a blessing, so you don't, you don't need to give, I shall do it all for you. There is the one who wants others to give, but he doesn't want to give himself. So he'll get you the blessing, but he'll begrudge his own blessing. There is the one who wants that he, as well as everybody else, should give. He is the chassid, he is the pious man. We should all be generous and mimic the Lord. And there is the one who doesn't want to give and he doesn't want anybody else to give. He's just a wicked man. And there were four types of students that would listen and study the Bible. There is one who goes to study, but he doesn't put it into practice. So he has only gained the reward of studying. There is the student who does the good deeds but doesn't bother to go and study and find out why he does them. So he gets the reward of doing. There is the one who goes to study and he puts it into practice. He is the the chassid, the righteous man. Blessed is he who hears my words and does them, says Yeshua, Jesus. And there is the one who neither does uh, the deeds nor studies. So he is the wicked So there are four different types of characters, four different types of disciples. And uh, and what you see here, the four different types of human hearts that receive the message of the kingdom. Because Jesus, thankfully enough, actually explains this parable to us. And so we see that the, the parable is about, and all parables are, about the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven where God was ruling and reigning if you want to try and describe it a good way to describe its dynamic dynamism that it was constantly in motion that there were good things as well as perhaps something else that was there that was mysterious you would share it in a parable so these parables are about the kingdom the kingdom is dynamic and this king is a very good king and he spreads his word which is the message of the kingdom of heaven that God is indeed a king. The world might look like it's in a really bad place. The world might look like it's in a mess. It might seem that the devil's winning. That is not the reality of the kingdom of heaven. There are parts of it that seem to be under attack by the enemy. There are parts of it that seem to be in confusion. There are parts of it where the cares of the world are choking the, uh, the message. But the kingdom is expanding. Is it not? When they started this movement with 12 little guys on a beach, or actually in Jerusalem, to where we are now, that's good news. That's actually encouraging. Yes, when God gives the the word, it is true that sometimes it falls on a shallow heart. And quickly, Satan, the devil, comes along and takes it away and stops it from growing, stops it from bearing fruit, stops it from having any effect. But has the devil managed to stop the gospel from going around the world? No, he has not. And he is not going to be able to. And that should be encouraging. That should be a good part of the story. Yes, the birds did come. Yes, the world did uh, uh, grow up some thorns. 
and choke us. But we did also expand. Now, uh, in the 19th century, it became fashionable to engage in higher criticism. Has anybody heard of this? We got very critical of the Bible, and it was really good to go through the text. Unfortunately, it was predominantly from Germany, but uh, there were some good things from Germany too. <laughs> but higher criticism came, and it, uh, it, it, it went through the Bible and found all kinds of problems. And um, they came to this parable, and even this parable, they found a problem. They said, wheat doesn't produce a hundred times. What a load of rubbish. Do you want to put the next slide up for us? Okay. It is true that that the wheat that we produce today predominantly in the world is called durum wheat. And it does not produce a hundred grains. It has a single stalk. Okay, it does not produce that much uh, uh, wheat from a single, a, single, a single grain. However, the wheat that it was grown in the Middle East at the time uh, of, of, of Jesus in the Second Temple period was this wheat, kamut, or uh, Khorasan wheat, which is making a comeback in health food shops. Okay, and you can actually go and buy this special wheat. These, and uh, they all say it's more healthy for you than durum wheat. That's not true. <laughs> it's just wheat. But have a, if you notice the, some of the pictures, how many little stalks does the head of wheat have? It's got more than one. And it just so happens that the wheat in this, in this area could produce a hundred of its own little kernels if it grew successfully under the right conditions. And what were those right conditions, I hear you ask, thanks for asking. Okay. Well, why does the world grow durum wheat and not this kind of wheat, if this, this wheat can, can, can do so good? Because unfortunately, this wheat doesn't do so well when you water it very well. In well-watered environments, it's, it, doesn't produce, it doesn't produce as much as durum. So when we get to Europe, when we, when we want to actually farm and, and give lots of water to our farms, we prefer durum, we produce more yield. But if you come from an area where rain is a little bit more tighter than on a dry year, when the plant is stressed, when there's a little bit of pressure, when there's a little bit of suffering involved, this wheat will outperform durum three to one. And so it's an interesting look at wheat is it not? So this is the wheat that's making a bit of a comeback in health food shops. Okay? It's wheat. But it also shows us that the text knew what they were talking about. It was, it was in its context, it was in Hebrew, it was outside a synagogue, and they were talking about a known truth. You could reap a very fruitful harvest. And boy, that's good news. Well, there are different types of soils and there are different types of the hearts of the disciples who hear the same message. And how we respond to that message is going to be a discussion on how fruitful we can become. And I was challenged this week by a colleague and a friend who reminded me that disciples, that we have to be salt and light. That's what's going to produce this fruit. And that we as a church, getting critical here, we have failed, not everywhere, we've expanded, but 
unfortunately, the cares of this world and the cancel culture, we've stopped talking the truth to many of us. Too many of us have lost our salt, lost our light, and we've become hard. The cares of this world have hardened our hearts like stony ground. We've, we've looked at evil in the world and we've not liked it. And instead of challenging that evil with the truth, with the good, with the right, we've silenced ourselves, made ourselves hard, become very unfruitful. So we have to wake ourselves up. We have to become salt in life. We have to look at ourselves and try and figure out what has happened in our life that, we've, that uh, has taken away our salt and our light. Has, is there something in our life that has made us a little bit hard? Have the cares of this world taken away the focus of the Messiah? Now there are a lot of cares that we can have in this world. Family. Family is a good thing. Does God not love to put people in families? Yes. But we can become so absorbed in our families, we've forgotten to get be absorbed in the Messiah. We can focus so much in our kids, we have forgotten to focus on God. Or his focus is slightly less and we'll actually do things for our kids more than we will do for God. And, uh, oops. <laughs> I'm not saying kids aren't important, they are. I'm saying families are not important. They are. They are a blessing. I'm not saying your job is important. It is. But so are your neighbors. So, are the, so is this world that rushes to meet its maker. So is the word of God that should be nestling in our hearts, wanting to grow. Amen. And so we've got to remember and ask ourselves to get back the hope, to get back the light, to get back the truth that we can share with this broken world. Because this world is pretty broken now. We are in a, a culture that wants to rewrite the past and, and, uh, and cancel out our birthright. One of our readings this morning was Genesis 25, where Esau sold his birthright. I don't want to know anything about my future. I don't want to know anything about my past. I'll just get rid of it. There'll be nothing. And what a horrible world that is. If you've only got a world that's wrapped in death and there is no life, oh my gosh, it's just a dead world. But brothers and sisters, that is not with us. That is not with the kingdom. The mystery of the kingdom is that even when it looks like the enemy is winning, even when it looks like the, the cares of this world can choke, even when some of our brothers and sisters get hard hearts, the kingdom still expands. So the challenge is for us, brothers and sisters, is to make sure that as we're journeying along a brother or a sister who's struggling, if we notice that someone's got a hard heart, pick them up. Wrestle with them. Encourage them. Bless them. Let's start by not forsaking the, the habit of meeting together in fellowship so that we can notice each other. We can notice the people who are not here. Notice the people who are not in our houses. Let's notice them, pray for them, take care of them. And let's remember that yes, we do have an enemy, but he has not stopped the gospel. You cannot beat this kingdom. 
It continues to expand. And if you find a spirit-empowered, faithful believer who has hears the word of God, and remember, that's the key. At the end of this parable, what does Yeshua, what does Jesus say? He who has ears, let him hear. And Shema in Hebrew does mean hear, but what else does it mean? Obey. And in fact, in the Gospels, in Mark's Gospel, Jesus is incredibly emphatic. He starts the parable by by saying, listen, Shema, I've got an incredible story for you. Hear the word of God and put it into practice and you will reap a harvest and the kingdom will expand and the enemy cannot stop it and broken ground will become soft and those thorns, they get thrown away to be burnt up. So brothers and sisters, I want to finish simply by encouraging each other that the kingdom of heaven has good news in it. Hope, salt, life. As we've been wrestling with the nature of discipleship, in Matthew there is a harvest field. The laborers are few. Let's pray for more. The yoke of the kingdom is a good thing. It is better to live under a king that wants us to forgive than under a dark ruler that wants us to be bitter and unmerciful and uncompassionate. It's better to be under a king that wants us to have stable families and beautiful children than a world that wants to tear our families apart and cancel our, our, our past and give our kids no future. We have a much better king than that. And you can't stop this kingdom. And it will expand. And under the right conditions, with a good and, and uh, farmer who knows exactly where to put his seed, everywhere in his harvest field, he'll get a hundredfold. And that is good news. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.